Hello, my name is Clarissa, and I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor, uh, I'm a writer. I say that confidently, yes, I am a writer. And this is my get-up story. Well, hey, girl, welcome to this week's episode of Get Up Girl, a podcast inspired by women of all cultures and backgrounds who have been toe-to-toe in the ring of discouragement, disappointment, defeat, and how they got back up to fight. Each episode, we'll be discussing, well, all the things. Marriage, business, parenting, racial divides, grief, loss, and everything in between. We believe that you will be encouraged by these women through their stories. So come on, girl. It's time to get up. So I was raised in a quote-unquote, you know, how we say Christian home. We went to church every Sunday, as far as I can remember, until I was in fourth or fifth grade. And um, my parents were very active in the church. My sister and my brother and and me, we were like a trio worship group back in the day. (laughs) We used to lead our kids' church worship, and we would sing with our parents in big church, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. So it was, you know, that's all we knew. But... uh, about sixth grade, between fifth and sixth grade, is when my parents pulled out of our church that we went to pretty regularly, and something had happened, some grown-up thing had happened, and, you know, of course, we were kids, we don't know, we were just like, why aren't we going to church anymore, and it was then that I kind of made a decision, because I was very concerned about what my friends thought about me, um, to turn my back on everything I knew. You know, and it's kind of crazy. I was so young, but I can, I remember making that decision. Like, I'd rather my friends think I'm cool than be a church kid, you know, Christian person. And so listening to a Bobby Brown song, it's pretty old. It dates me pretty well. But um, we were all, like, jamming in my friend's living room. And they were like, this is my, my song. And it wasn't really my song because we didn't listen to that kind of music. Not like for real. And I was like, this is my jam. And I was, I was really lying. But I remember, <laughs> I can never forget that. And I talk about that all the time. It's kind of that, that point where I just pivoted mm-hmm. in that living room and said, you know, it, I'm going to, whatever it takes to fit in, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and so, man, that, that took me on a long road, you know, middle school, just doing what all the popular kids did, trying to, you know, cuss, lie, steal, whatever, you know. And then in sixth and seventh grade, though, I started dealing with something new where it was really like I wasn't black enough for mm-hmm. for everybody at my school that was black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so people started, like, threatening me in the bathroom, you know, like, oh, who, who do you think you are? What color do you think you are? Mm-hmm. And it was just this constant barrage of, like, hate and crazy stuff, you know, that I even sometimes tell my kids stories about it just so that they can get a little glimpse into what things can be like. Um, And so then I made a new decision that I was going to be as black as I could be. So about eighth grade, I was like, okay, I'm going to be black, whatever that means. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like black guys. I'm going to do black things. I mean, it was crazy. 
And so that was another kind of a pivot. And it was a, a crazy one because it took me into a world that I really wasn't ready for. A world of, you know, gangs and God, just things in over my head, you know, being in cars with guns and getting, you know, getting scared that I was going to jail, you know, as a ninth grader because I was trying to be with the wrong crowd. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so what, like you said, in eighth grade, you, that other pivotal point of like, Mm -hmm. okay, well now I'm going to be as black as I can be. And you said, (laughs) whatever that means. So what, like, to you, what did that mean? Like, so you, you said the kids were saying, like, what color do you think you are? Mm-hmm. And these were from black students. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for you, I mean, do you remember, like, what, you were like, okay, well, I'm going to be as black as I can be. Yeah. What what did that mean for you? I mean, Well, what- for me, I was, um, I had been in, like, gifted classes my, my whole life. And mm-hmm. so... In my middle school, that meant you were separated from all the other kids for like half the day, you know. And so there were like 10 of us on campus in this one T building. And (laughs) there was only like one other person of color in that T building. And so that was a big deal, you know. And that's where a lot of that came from. Like, who do you think you are? Because those were all my friends. They were the only people I knew. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I didn't know that it wasn't black to be smart or whatever it was just what was expected of me actually from my parents you know Mm -hmm. and what I knew to I knew of life I loved learning and all of that so that pivot meant like me not caring about my grades and me not you know wanting to be the best at things anymore going to academic competitions you know it I didn't I knew that that was going to cause more friction. And so I really started, especially in ninth grade, like I flunked my first class in ninth grade um, because I had really gone all in with, I I have to separate myself from that, whatever, that world. Yeah. Um, And And did you experience any type of criticism from your white students, your white classmates? I mean, were you getting it from both sides, or what was that experience? Not really, you know. Well, you know, it was funny, because here we are in Louisiana, and um, so my white friends would say things like, you're the coolest black person I've ever met, or, you know, you're not really black. You're, you're, you're just Clarissa, you know. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were, I think, mostly sad, because I had been best friends with most of them since elementary school. And here I am making this shift, you know, where I'm really turning my back on them. Mm-hmm. And so they were just kind of confused and, and you know. Yeah. But they never said anything racial, you know, racially um, objective or anything. They were just, they had been my people mm-hmm. for so long. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. are you from here? No. Mm-mm. Where are you from? I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And then um, moved here from Maine. So... Our culture was completely different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Completely different. That's okay. That's interesting. So let's move up to high school. You said you flunked your first class in ninth grade. What was that experience <laughs> like for you? It was damaging. You know, it's it's hilarious, but I still think about it to this day, you know, um, because even though I was trying to be somebody else, that academic learner side of me was always down in there somewhere and so I was really 
I really betrayed myself in a lot of ways when I decided that those things didn't matter, that academics didn't matter, um, because I still had all of these little hopes and dreams to be a journalist or to, to do all these things, but I was really so so concerned about what other people thought that that didn't really matter mm-hmm. anymore. So. so what did your high school career look like? Oh, in gosh. Inside and outside of the classroom, what did that look oh, like? Oh, outside, hmm. Uh, <laughs> inside the classroom, you know, I, like I said, that learner in me never really died. So I did my best, you know, without making a show of myself. I still, I still tried to get A's on projects or whatever, um, but I never went all in. You know, um, I remember my senior year, I had I'd actually uh, taken accounting my senior year, and I was so good at it that I went to, like, state to compete in something. And then I made, um, or I made, um, went to regionals, and then I made state. And it was like, okay, go to state and possibly get a scholarship or go to prom, because I was really a party girl. And I chose prom, and that's one of those things. It's, it was a great life lesson because I talk to my kids about that all the time. I'm like, if you have a chance to win a scholarship, win the scholarship. Yeah. Don't go to prom. Um, there will always be parties. There will always be parties, <laughs> and so that's what my high school life looked like outside of school. It looked like parties. It looked like lies to my parents. It looked like changing my clothes um, on the bus so that I could be more provocative at school. It looked like. God, it looked like everything mm-hmm. that you don't want your young little girl to do. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what about college? College. Um, <laughs> yes. So I chose my college based on where my boyfriend was going. So again, uh-huh. don't do that if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. Uh, and, and then it just became about parties. You know, at first, it was that first semester, I remember kind of getting in that I could feel that learner in me trying to wake up. And I loved math and English and speech. And But at the same time, I loved to party. So I remember dropping classes just because I knew I was going to get a bad grade. And I didn't want to get a bad grade, but I didn't want to give up partying at the same time. And so... Man, that first year, and my and really, my, it's my only year of college was my first year of college. So that year, I got arrested for the first time um, because I shoplifted, and I was trying to kind of keep up with everybody. And so when I would run out of money, I would just go take what I wanted from the store. So that was that was yeah, that was interesting. So getting arrested in college, um, and then everybody on campus knowing that you got arrested, um, that was crazy. It was um, kind of a, a mark was put on me, if you will. And and then I got pregnant the summer that I came home from my first year of college and another pivot. And there we, yeah. And, there. and were you still with your boyfriend? The- I was. Um, I was with him. And so we, um, but I was also with other people. And so it was very crazy and very confusing, and it was a very unwanted um, pregnancy. Mm. I was scared to death, you know, when I think about things like, you know, abortion or, or whatever. Now, now I'm like, God, how could you ever, how could someone ever think about that, you know? And then, I, and then the Lord reminds me. That at one time I thought about that. Yeah. And that I was looking up places to go and I was making phone calls and, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, 
But thank God that didn't happen. Yeah. You know? And so you were, how old were you at that time? I was 18. Um, yeah, when I was 18 pregnant? when I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And how did your parents handle that? Oh, man. Well, I hid it for them from about five months. So I was living in my dad's house, hiding this pregnancy, which got very creative uh, with clothes and shirts and belts and, you know, my fashion, my fashion took a turn in those five months. I was like, oh. but finally I had to come clean to my dad and, um, he was devastated because he, he had been, um, even though he and my mom were still legally married at the time, he really was like a single parent for a lot of our lives. So, because their marriage was very tumultuous after a certain point. So he was just like, wow, now you're a grown up, and now you've got to go find a place to live. And I was mm. like, okay, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do from that point? Um, my boyfriend and I, we got an apartment, and we started to live life and do, um, you know, what adults do, mm-hmm. whatever and that was. <laughs> you had dropped out of school. I dropped out of school. Was he still in school? He dropped out of school, too. Oh, so, okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, our lives shifted dramatically. Um and then here comes a little baby boy into the world, and he's, uh, I don't know what to do with him, really. You know, he's alive, and I'm feeding him, and we're, we're kind of getting up and doing the thing every day. But, you know, what do you do? I was so, so broken and confused and everything. You know, all this stuff was piled up. My mind was a mess, you know. And so, yeah, it was mm-hmm. crazy. Those first couple of years with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's your son, Eddie. Yeah. Right? And yes. how old is Eddie now? He's, he's 20. Yeah. He's in college. Yeah. He's about mm-hmm. to go into his second. Wait. He'll be done um, with the, um, yeah, this semester he'll be done. He'll be coming back home. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. Wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you're a new mom mm-hmm. and you're 19 probably at this yep, point. Yeah, 19. So how long were you and your boyfriend together? We were together, wow, until 2000 and, man, so that's what I'm trying, I can't even do math right now. Uh, Three years after that, um, I uh, went to jail again, uh, (laughs) uh, actually uh, for assaulting him, for aggravated assault, and my my get out of jail free card was for us to get married, so we got married. Which oh, is wow. a it's a great way to get married or a great reason to get married. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's when I went to church. So I thought that was two thousand one. So I thought, okay, um, I don't want to go to jail. We got married and now I need to get my life right. And so my court date was kind of out ahead of me. And so I started actually going to church in, in February of two thousand one, mm-hmm. kind of thinking, Okay, God I'll get God involved, everything will get back on the right track. So Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of that year, everything just blew up. Just, um, the paternity test was taken. We found out that my husband wasn't my son's father. And, um, yeah, it all just wow. went crazy. And I went right back into my old life just night and day, just turned a corner. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went hard. It was almost as, like, you know, they describe drug addicts. Once they crash, 
they have to do more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I did thing I did things that are truly unmentionable. I always say that because they are unmentionable to me now. Um, and I just I just went into a very perverse, depraved lifestyle mm-hmm. for for the next five years. Wow. Yeah. So how happened. did how did your well I guess he was your husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At that point. So mm-hmm. when he found out or when y'all found out that he wasn't the father, what was his Oh man, it was crazy. It was, you know, I fear for my life. Um, Heath made some threats, and at the time, I completely understood him. You know, I thought, God, Clarissa, what in the world have you done? You know, um, I'd already started dating someone else in the midst of all of that. So, and I had moved out, and and while we were still legally married, I got pregnant like, with, you know, by this other person. So it was just like, mm-hmm. ah! You know, yeah. it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, he was heartbroken. And I had been with him since we were in high school, you know, and so his family was heartbroken and my family was heartbroken. And it was very confusing, a very sad time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to circle back to you said you went to jail for um, assault. Mm-hmm. You assaulted him. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what brought that on? What brought that on? Man, what brought that on? Exhaustion. You know, when I look back, I had a little baby. um, And he was, he worked a hard job. And he, his kind of his outlet was just going to be with his friends, playing sports, kind of doing guy stuff. And it was one of those mornings, he was just like, I'm going to go do, you know, my guy stuff. And I just, something flipped. Uh, I had learned how to use anger in a very manipulative way. And I had been doing that for many years. So um, this was like a just a boiling tipping point. And I I threatened his life and he was scared and he locked himself in a bathroom and he called the police and Wow. And there I was. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so um, you find out that your husband wasn't the father, you were dating someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. still legally married. Is that mm-hmm. right at this point? Oh yeah. So when did y'all separate? Was it shortly after y'all found out about the paternity yeah. test? Yeah, so we separated. Um, we actually separated before we knew the result of the paternity test. Okay. Um, but so I was already living with another man when all of that became final. Okay. And uh, and yeah, so it it was crazy. Mm-hmm. I definitely took on all of that, and even though I tried to act like I was okay. I thought, I thought I was really the scum of the earth. I remember feeling that way, and so then as my life was manifesting, and it was, it was, it was the equivalent of someone who would be the scum of the earth. Like the life I was leading, it made sense to me. I think it made me really just accept it all. Like mm-hmm. you deserve this. Mm-hmm. You deserve to be living in poverty. You deserve to be. Being um, so in that relationship that I had entered into, I was physically abused, you know, and verbally abused, and all kinds of stuff. So I, you deserve that, you know. I lost that baby that I was pregnant with, and so part of that was like, well, this is what you get, you know, when you do what you do. And so I definitely, every time I went all in with an identity, I went all in. You know? mm-hmm. And, and I can talk about it now kind of looking back because it feels like a movie, but I can remember just 
embracing that, if that makes sense. That's a, a crazy word to use, but in, in this circumstance, I feel, but it was totally like, this is my life now. This is it, you know, and this is how it's always going to be because of all of these things that you've done. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how old was your son at this point? Man, he was, uh, he was like t- t- from two to two to four during all of the finality of like um, the court cases and different things like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so... Um, and did you ever have any kind of relationship with his father once you found out? We did. It was one of those kind of like Thanksgiving, Christmas kind of things. Yeah. You know, he had remarried. He had actually gotten married and he lived in another state. And so it was it was definitely one of those lifetime movie situation things you see. Like mm-hmm. when he did come around, we still there was still you know, a little bit of a attraction or relationship there. So sometimes something would come of that. And it was, it was even more confusing, you know, um, my son was scared of him, something about his mannerism or something. So every time that he would try to kind of be around him or or take him for the week or whatever, it was always a big fail. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so we tried to kind of keep in contact for, for some years there, I mean, even, um, man, I guess about 11, 12 years ago was the last time that my son would have seen him or had any contact with him. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how long were you with um, the guy that you were, at this point that you were living with? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So we dated for three years. And so the first year was... I mean, it was horrible, but I didn't think it was horrible. Um, and then the, the last two years, they were truly hell on earth. It was, you know, two years of physical abuse and um, being afraid for my life every day, every day. Um, it, yeah, so just two years of that. And then having a young, growing boy in that atmosphere there were a lot of things that manifested in his life during that time, you know, getting kicked out of daycare because of anger or, you know, his teachers not knowing what to do with him because he was so mean and so hateful. But, you know, the atmosphere he was in was that's, he, he was just manifesting what he saw every day. Yeah. And so, yeah. Which is really, that's hard for me to wrap my head around because I know your son, Eddie now and the man he is today. Yeah. And he's so gentle and kind, mm-hmm. and he's a giver, and he's crazy talented. Yeah. But he's just – that. it's so opposite. It's hard for me to picture Eddie yeah. getting kicked out of anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, really. Or being angry. That's, um, that's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so can can you speak a little to, you said you had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. is that right? Well, I carried a, a baby full term, so the week I, the day I went to have the baby, we found out that the baby was dead. Oh, wow. So, um, so that was hard, you wow. know, and this is all pre-Jesus, right? So my coping mechanism was like smoking a, a blunt of weed and turning off all the lights in my house and turning up some music as loud as I could and just getting high and just trying to zone out Mm -hmm. and uh, knowing that 
the guy I was dating was so disappointed and, and fear of like, now what? What's going to happen to you now? Like, you just lost his son and it's your fault. And, you know, just all these thoughts. And so that was, it was crazy. It was, I didn't really know how to grieve. I didn't know what that grieving even was. You know, I just thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta deal with this really quickly so that I can get back into life. I gotta work. I gotta pay my rent. I gotta, you know. And then a few months later, I got pregnant with my daughter, Joy. So it was like, okay, here we go again, you yeah. know. And uh, mm. life just kept going. How? When was your um... When was your healing point from that, Mm. the loss? Really, honestly, so that would have been, man, it would have been 2007, I want to say 2007, 2008, at a service. So now I'm I'm serving Jesus. I've been following him for about a year and a half. And I went to this service, and the minister was like, I just feel like I need to pray for women who have lost a child. And... And it's so funny because you know how you work the year. Oh, is he, is he talking to me? And I, I think I'm okay. And that was a long time ago. And then I just found myself at the altar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, here I am. And I just let, all, let it all out, you know, thinking that I was okay. You know, I had been functioning pretty highly, been raising kids and, and doing life. But that was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm going to let this out. Yeah. And I'm going to get some closure. Mm. And it was a beautiful thing. And you didn't find out until you went in to give birth, is that right? Right. So the day that they had scheduled, so I was a week late, and they were like, okay, so next week on this day, you come back, and we're having this baby. I was like, okay. And um, we were doing the pre-op, um, and then they were the nurse just turned, like, pale, and I was like, what is going on? And she's like, I'll be right back. And then... She brought in a couple other people, and she's like, and they were like, "Who's here with you today?" And I was like, "Why?" And then they were like, "This is why, you know, because the baby's gone, and mm. but we got to get the baby out." And so, yeah, it was, it was wild. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's hard to. <sighs> that's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um. Okay. So. We get pregnant with Joy. Yes. Which I've had the honor of getting to know Joy over the joy. last several years. Since, she's a joy. Well, she's in high school now, but yes. um, in middle school, mm-hmm. she was in my small group. And yeah. um, she's feisty as I'll get out. It's feisty. Funny. I love about her. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the, the man that you were in the relationship with that you said was abusive physically mm-hmm. and verbally, um, this, he was, he's the father? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so how did he take um, another pregnancy? Was What was his reaction? It was, you know, until we found out that it was a girl, I think everything was okay. And then when it wasn't a boy, it was like you could tell that he, was, he, he wasn't very happy about it at first, you know. And so, um, but we got over that and... And yeah, so then here we are, pregnant, you know, and I thought, okay, maybe this time he won't, the physical abuse will end, you know, we just lost a baby, so there's not going to, you know, he's going to think differently, I'm going to protect myself, you know, I, I was hopeful for a little bit, but then it didn't stop, it really just got worse, and so um, ended up having to have her 
uh, about six weeks early, seven weeks early, just because of of the pain and the I mean my this my stress level. The doctors every time I went to the doctor they they kept me and they were like I don't we we're, we're a little nervous this time and then they let me go home and they'd be like we're a little nervous and then they keep me again and then one time I went and they were like we're not letting you go home we're gonna try to you know have this baby because her heart rate and just different things were that were scaring them a little bit and so I bring this preemie baby home to a basically a shotgun house you know if you know what that means it's just a house that's straight back you know mm-hmm. and there's rats and there's roaches and there's no ac and there's no heat she's born in november so that was a big deal and um i think bringing her home again hindsight is twenty twenty, was kind of just a little seed it was like a little starting point of something in my mind and in my heart of it can't stay like this. Like, this is crazy, you know. Um, I wasn't fully there yet, but I was, something was starting to just awaken in me a little bit. And and what really, one pivoting point, again, <laughs> was this huge mama rat. I love to tell this story. Because um, it's a shotgun house, so like my bedroom, you could see straight into the kitchen. And she had gotten really bold. She used to hide when we would come home, but now she was kind of out in the open in the daytime, just walking across the kitchen. And I thought, you gotta get this baby out of this house. This is no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. So then we started living in basically a hotel uh, for a little bit. So I've got the baby and and little Eddie and uh, still living with her dad um, in a hotel on East Texas Street. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, again, during that time, it was really something really was starting to bubble up in me. Other people in my life who I had shut out started kind of trying to come back in and saying, we don't know what's going on, but we know something's going on and we want you out of there. And I was like, no, you know, everything's OK. Everything's OK. But then one night in the middle of the night, I just called. I called my dad, who has always been truly a picture of. God the Father, because he, even in all of it, was always there through it all. And I could call him, and even if I could tell he was doing it, gritting his teeth, he was always there for me. And I was like, it was like 3 in the morning, I was like, I gotta go. I don't know. He just left, and I think I can get out safely. Um, Both of the kids were somewhere for the weekend. It just so happened to be that way. And and I just escaped. I escaped in the middle of the night, and um, that was, it was my first taste of kind of freedom or what what freedom could be, you know, Mm -hmm. after a lot of years Mm -hmm. of heartache and bondage and craziness. And so where did you go? I slept in my, at my friend's house for one night, and then I ended up moving back in with my dad. You know, something that my dad always said he would never let me do, and something I said I would never do, so I would rather live in a slum than go back and live in my dad's house, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we slept on my dad's floor, me and both kids, on an air mattress in Highland for uh, like eight months, and and I got on my feet. I got two jobs. Um, I worked a lot. I started saving some money. And then my dad was like, hey, I think I'm going to let you live here and pay, you know, pay the rent, pay the bills, and I'm going to move out because I feel like you're, you're 
you're gaining some momentum. And I was like, okay, you know. And so, yeah, so that was 2004. Um, my life, as far as lifestyle, didn't get any better, you know. And, but I was paying for my own place. I kind of I had a roof over my kid's head. I started getting a little bit of my self-esteem back. I couldn't wear feminine clothes when I was with uh, the guy that I ran away from, so I started to do things like wear girl clothes again. And I couldn't uncover my hair, so I started uncovering. So I just started feeling like, oh, my God. like It's kind of like a waking up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, but as far as lifestyle, you know, I still smoked weed. I still drunk alcohol. I mean, I, would, I still smoked cigars, just a stupid fun fact, but I would smoke cigars every day, you know, um, <laughs> just crazy. Now when I think about it, it literally is like a, it's just a stupid, like, who, are, who was that person? But um, so, yeah, so that's where I was, 2004. And what you said you had two jobs. I had two uh, what jobs. two jobs were you working? I worked at the donut shop, Southern Made Donuts. Hey, yes. Lord. And then um, I worked on base. I worked in their retail store on base. Um, and that was where I really started to find some sort of purpose. You know, we think about words like purpose as Christians, and it's kind of a buzzword. But I had never thought about anything like that. But I remember. When I could make a customer's day, I remember just a little, like, something in me, like, wait, that felt like something, you know? Um, And it was really because of that job, you know, God used that job in so many ways. Um, I got really good at that job, Mm -hmm. and my managers loved me, and they trained me, and they taught me so much, and they offered me a, a management position. And it was at that time that I was able to quit my other job and that was another time that I was like, okay, things are starting to look uh, look better in my life. I'm going to go to church, <laughs> you know, because right. now I'm at a place again where like, okay, maybe. Um, but this time it was different. Um, I came back to the same church I had left um, in 2001. So I'd come to that church and then left in that same year. And when I came back, I remember that first Sunday, I just came and I sat, and I remember the pastor, uh, his name is Pastor Eden, he's, he's like my spiritual dad now, he was talking about just losing our love for God, basically, and all of this stuff, and I'll, I'll remember that sermon, and I left, and nothing changed, you know, I was uh, still legally married, so I had still not been legally divorced after all this time, it was, it's crazy, and, um, but that was in the works at this point. And I was dating like two or three different guys and they would sleep at my house and it was, it was a mess. And that next, that Saturday after going to church for that first time in five years is when standing at my ironing board, getting ready for work, I gave my life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had literally just, one of those guys had just left my house. He had just broken up with me. Um, that morning he, he woke up and said, I don't know why but I feel like you're better than this. And I'll never forget it because I was so mad at him. But I, he may have been a prophet in disguise because when he said it at the time, I thought, oh, you're just another bleepity bleep loser. You know, I can't believe this is happening to me. But him saying that and leaving that morning and then me standing at that ironing board, it was just like, it's a scene I'll never forget. I think about it in worship all the time. I think about it 
when I'm praying sometime, I call it my ironing board experience. You know, I was dejected in that moment. I felt so deflated. And I, it's like I heard a voice. You know, that's what I say. I don't know. And of course, it rhymed because that's how my world works. Everything rhymes. And I, and I felt like I heard a voice say, you know, Clarissa, do you finally see no one can love you better than me? And I'll never forget just standing there and thinking, okay, this is it. You know, and I just kept, and I never stopped ironing because I had to get to work. And I just started saying, Jesus, this is it. It's you and me. You know, I'm just going, ah, saying all this stuff. And that was the day. I mean, that was it. That, I, that day, I gave my life to Jesus. And, um, of course, things didn't turn around. You know, the son of Disney story. Right. And overnight. But that's the day I look back at and say, yeah. Another pivotal. Point. Oh man, a, a, the pivotal point. Oh, I yes. would say the pivotal point. <laughs> so, um, when you left uh, Joy's dad mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. um, and you escaped from that hotel, mm. I mean, what was the aftermath of that? Did he contact you or try to come after you, or did he? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, we had. Um, so everything that was in the hotel, because it was one of those hotels that you can bring furniture to, you know, that kind of a thing you live in, and so um, was mine. So we had to go back to get it all, and that was a, kind of a scary day. But I took my dad with me. I took my sister. Though they've all they've been my road dogs forever and ever, and we we went and got all the stuff out. And you know there was a little bit of fear, but you know knowing that they were there, I, I felt strong. But then after that, you know, he would still call me. I would call him. We would talk about what does it look like for us to be together. And then it would be like, no, this can't be. This can't be. You know, like something, you know, my family, because now they were the voices that were around me. Because I had literally taken all of their voices out of my life for, for two and a half years, three years. And... um and so they were like, so sometimes I would get in contact with him and I would kind of be like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, it, it is his child too. And, you know, I'd start kind of talking it, you know, and they'd be like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You know, you can't go back. And um, so that was very helpful. His family was amazing. Um, I, I literally just texted his mom not long ago. Uh, she is our granny. She will forever be our granny. We love her to death. Um she was really for me through all of it, and yeah. that helped a whole lot, wow. you know. Um, and she has walked with us through all of that um, and really been a champion for me. And so that was very helpful, too. Mm-hmm. There were some boundaries that I didn't even have to draw because other people started drawing them for me. <laughs> There's nothing like community. That's why yeah. I believe in it so much. Um so that was helpful. And then um, he ended up going to jail for something unrelated. And so he was gone for about a year and a half. And that helped a lot. And, you know, there was a, an instant boundary put up there. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you just speak to what the single motherhood? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, because uh, there's so many. My mom was a single mom for a se- before I came along, um, yeah. before a season. And um, I know several single moms, and I know there's so many more out there. And mm-hmm. I, I have so much respect for single moms. I, I, I remember being in college, and 
um, I was in nursing school for a stint of time. Oh, wow. Which is comical to think about now. Um, and I remember there was this one, one of my classmates, um, she was in her 40s. Mm. Coming back to school. And nursing school is not a joke. Mm-mm. It is no joke. Mm. And we were in clinicals. This wasn't prereq. Oh like, we were in clinicals. And she had three kids, single mom. Mm. And I'm like, I'm 20. Yeah. And got no responsibility. And I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, and I'm just, I just remember just watching her in awe and having so much mm. respect for her. Um, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for single moms. Mm-hmm. Me and, too. Yeah. Yeah. So can you just kind of speak to that, what that was like? Oh, yeah. So I, I did it with and without Jesus. So without Jesus, you know, that that light had switched on, you know, like, okay, I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to. So I was working the two jobs and, and um, you know, paying for probably not the best ch- child care, but doing that. And then again, you know, some community stepped up and helped with some things like that. The granny that was granny stepped in and helped with Joy's child care. And my dad did so much. He would literally stay up with the kids while I was at work, you know, helping close mm-hmm. the store down. Um, but, you know, I didn't make a whole lot of money. <laughs> um, and so even though I, at one point I was able to only work one job, um, and that not for long without Jesus. So then I started following Jesus not long after that. I started working that one job. It, it really was all about my kids. It was always about my kids once that kind of that light switched on. And so that meant sometimes not, I would make sure they had food and then whatever was left over I would eat, you know. Uh, that meant me learning how to really be frugal, like taking $50 cash into a grocery store and getting as creative as I could. Like, this is all you got. So this, you're coming out with groceries for the week. Like it's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but as a believer, it, it changed everything because I really started to just trust God. Um, man, I remember people starting to talk to me about tithing and me thinking, are you crazy? Like, you don't understand. I mean, I can remember literally thinking, are you crazy? Like, there's no way. I can't even do it right now. We're pinching. We're literally surviving paycheck to paycheck to a zero dollar amount, you know, level. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not possible. And then tithing for the first time and the second time and the third time and the fourth time. And then going like, wait, how is this happening? Like, what is going on? Like, we don't we have everything we need and now we have a little bit more and 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 I'm so cerebral in 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 when it comes to finances that I would literally kind of start trying to write it all down like I don't understand like the same amount of money is coming in but like I, you know, like how is this working and uh man I oh my gosh that's those are great memories um because God became so real to me you know it was also new and i had so many things that i didn't understand and i had had this broken mindset since sixth grade and um i ha- i had to go all in with him you know and as i went all in with him okay so i learned something new and i thought okay i'm going to apply it i'm going to do it so they said i have to forgive everybody okay here we go you know and i was yeah. i was just trying everything that the pastor said or whatever and I can remember doing it without Jesus for two years, being a single mom and p- pinching the pennies and doing the thing and and making it, 
you know, my kids never went without food and they never, they always had clothes and, you know, and that was all about my hustle, you know, um, which I think kicks in for single moms when you, you see those kids and you're like, all right, let's go, let's get it. You know, that, and that means sometimes you'll do things that you never dream you'd do, you know, and, um, and other people might not understand, but I understand that. I think that's why I have such a heart for women who are single and who are doing hustling. You maybe they're doing it wrong. Maybe they're doing it illegal, but I know why they're doing it because I probably would have done the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but with Jesus, um, it just, it didn't get easy. That's not the right word. Um, but there was an, I guess, an ease about it that I, as I began to say, okay, God, if you're real, like everything that they keep telling me, I believe it. Let's do this, you know? And I just started changing the way I, I looked at things. Instead of being afraid every, you know, at the end of the month, I started kind of having expectation. Like, God, what are you going to do? Because now I don't have any money, you know? And God would always do something. Uh, one Thanksgiving, we were like, okay, we're not, we don't have anything. And it's okay, you know? I'm gonna, we're still going to have fun. I'll cook a meal, and the kids will have fun, and we'll have some friends over. And my phone rang, and I just got off work. I mean, I was in retail, so it was like Black Friday. It was crazy. And um, someone was like, hey, we want, we've selected you for a Thanksgiving meal. And I'm like, what do you mean you selected me for a Thanksgiving meal? Like, who is this, you know? And it was somebody at our church, and they're like, and I'm like, well, well, what comes with this meal? You know, they're like, oh, this and this and, like, everything. And it turned out, it turned from us not having Thanksgiving to me being able to invite everybody to my house and have Thanksgiving, you know. Mm -hmm. And these are the fun memories. Like, even me and the kids, we, these are our, like, remember when God did that? Remember when that thing happened? Or remember when someone paid for you to go to camp, Betty? Remember when that, you know, it was just like, God was so faithful and it wasn't about my hustle anymore. And, man, I don't want to cry. Oh, it's, we can cry together because okay. I'm, I'm fighting it back. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but that was the that was the best time, you know. I love being married, and I have the best husband, so, you know. <laughs> I talk about that all day. But when I think about learning, being like in, in boot camp or, or on my honeymoon with God or whatever, I don't know what the right, the right word to put it to it, but it was those two years that I was, it was just me and God and Eddie and Joy and man, I'm just doing thing after thing after thing. You know, I lived in so much fear because of that relationship that I had been in that before when I was a single mom, you know, before I knew Jesus, I would never go to sleep until I could see dawn breaking because I would think I have to stay awake. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I want to hear them sleeping in the other room and I have to stay awake. And I had, you know, I, I had all of these obsessions and paranoias. And then when the sun would come up, I could go to sleep. But then I'd have to wake back up mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'd get the kids out to daycare. And then I would take a nap and then I'd go to work. And I was anxious and tired and I would drink alcohol to go to sleep and I would take sleeping pills and I would, I, it was a mess. Um, and still we were, quote unquote, making it, you know. But after I knew Jesus, I remember the first time I was like, I'm not taking a sleeping pill tonight. I'm not doing it. Now, I kept him in my drawer for a couple months because I was like, what if this doesn't work? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're Christian. You don't know what you're doing. Right. Um, 
But I'll never forget the day I got to throw those things away. I was like, no, I can go to sleep. It's dark outside. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I believe that Jesus is here. And I'm going to go to sleep. And we're going to be okay. And we're going to wake. And I just did it time after time after time. And I was like, God, you're real. We're awake. I slept like, you know. I was just, like, I was just a baby, really, in all of it. Um, and he was so faithful. So faithful that I fought the thought of even getting married because I thought I can do this with God. There was no doubt in my mind at one point. I remember hollering at my dad on the phone. He was like, but the kids need a father and you need to think about this. And I said, dad, if I never get married again, I believe that we're going to be okay because God is going to keep it. I mean, I was, it was settled in my mind. Um, now God had other plans, and I'm thankful. I'm, man, I wouldn't change getting married to Dale, my husband, in a heartbeat. But, but I'm so glad that I had that time to to really decide that God was really everything that I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think I would have felt that void with De- Dale, and you know, yeah. Then I would have gone back around the mountain again. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you and Dale meet? What? So what? Tell us that story. We met at the church. Um, I was singing in the choir. He was, at first I didn't like him at all because he didn't read well. Um, and I had decided that being smart was okay again. <laughs> oh, so yeah. getting saved, really, that was kind of those first few years. Like, you can be yourself. Um, and so I was starting to kind of come out. And, you know, that that nerd Clarissa was thriving reading my Bible. And so he, we were in the same Sunday school class and my dad was actually the Sunday school teacher and he would make people read the reverses and Dale was reading and I was like, this guy can't read. And I was newly saved, so I still had a little bit of that attitude with me and, and <laughs> a little bit of that. And I was like, ugh. But then one day we talked and um, at like a Super Bowl party, we used to have them in the gym at our church. And he was sitting in my seat. I had gotten up and done something, and I came back. He was sitting in my seat, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's sitting in my seat. Like, ugh. But my stuff was there, so I kind of sat back down at the same table. And we just started talking. He started telling me a little bit about his story and, you know, that God had delivered him from drugs and all this stuff. And and I was like, oh, okay. you know. And he got up from the table, and I was like, oh, like we kind of just connected like our path. We have kind of, and then, you know, all this stuff's like swirling around in my head. And then I looked up and he was standing talking to some of his friends. And I was like, wait, he's kind of cute. Oh my God. I've never known. You know, like he's cute. And then he had this tattoo and I was like, oh my, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so that's when it began. I mean, I fell head over heels in love with him and he didn't even know my name. Um, so I got some other people involved in that. Yeah, uh, matchmaking. Well, sure. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so then we dated and we broke up. He broke up with me. He he had a binge. He went back. He fell hard and started taking some drugs again. And he broke up with me, and I fought that. <sighs> Man, I, I was like, no, this is, we're going to fix this. It's going to, we're going to, we're, we're supposed to be together. And, uh, and God, the only time I've heard God's voice audibly um, was the day that Dell broke up with me. And just, I heard, it is hard to kick against the goads. And I just read about that, you know, God speaking that to Paul. 
you know, Paul is going to persecute the Christians and Jesus basically says, you're not going to be able to do it basically is what he was saying. And I'll never forget it because I was walking into work and I heard it and it scared me so bad. And I looked around, nobody was there. And I said, that's not what I'm doing. I said it out loud because I knew, and I knew it was God. And then I heard it again and I went into work and then Dell called me later and said, Hey, I don't think this is going to work. And and uh, yeah, but then four months later, we got back together. Mm. And that was a beautiful four months because it was like one more time me and God got to sift out. Is it about me or is it about you being in a relationship? Like, is it really about me this time? And I was able to decide that for myself. And then Dale was able to get completely delivered um, in four months and him and God were having their own kind of thing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it was crazy. I love it. And then, um, yeah, then we got married that next year. And and how long have y'all been married? 11 years. 11 yeah. years. Yeah. It's been fun. So what was that like for your kiddos, for Joy and Eddie? Oh man, it was crazy. Uh, Joy, of course, she's four years old at the time when we got married. So she was like, yay, you know, like I got a daddy and she was just happy. Um, but Eddie had been the man of the house, you know, for now four years. And he really had been, he really had been the man of the house before that. Even as like a five-year-old, he tried to protect me. He was like, I got you, mom. You know, I remember me and him walking down East Texas Street together, getting, doing what we had to do. You know, he had been my guy. And so he's eight and he's already got his ideas about guys and you know he doesn't like any of the guys I've picked so far and so he it was it was interesting for him those first that first year I'd say was a little like him finally saying I'm okay with this you know um and we had to have some tough conversations and I had to hear his heart as a little boy mm-hmm. you know because he had been he had been like my protector. And so, but having Dale has been, man, the thing that I said we didn't need, God knew what, he knew exactly what we needed because Dale believes that his mission has always been to be the father to the fatherless. He's got other kids who aren't his biologically from his past marriages, his two past marriages. And um, he always filled the gap in the gap. And he doing it saved. He is like super dad. It's 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 beautiful. He's a beautiful thing to to watch. I'm like, help me, help me be a better parent. Help me, help me not kill them today. You know, <laughs> he, 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 thank God for him. Um, and so I think that's helped Joy and Eddie. You know, um, those storylines that I started before they were born, you know, I always tell people, I know God's forgiven me for all of that, but there have been consequences that have stayed with me, and I've watched it in their lives, you know. Eddie has had, you know, as, as he's grown up into a man, he, he's had some honest conversations with us about, I didn't think that I cared about what happened with my dad, but now I know that it affected me more than I thought. And and Joy, you know, her relationship with her biological dad has never been what you dream, you know, your relationship would be. And we've watched that affect her. And I've always wanted to kind of protect them from that, but I feel that it's their journey. 
you know, because they both have given their lives to Jesus, I sleep a lot easier. I used to worry about that a lot when they were little, like these webs that I've woven, you know, what is it going to do to them psychologically, you know, emotionally, but I have watched God, especially in Eddie's life now that he's, you know, turned 20, heal things that I could never heal um, because I just trusted God to do it. And, and I know that Joy is going to be fantastic and so strong and that she's going to be able to help other girls who have been in her situation because of what she's going through still and what she's gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just have to leave it in God's hands. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just from my experience with your kids, they're incredible. I don't know Eddie as well, obviously, as yeah. I know Joy, but um, I mean, just incredible kids mm-hmm. and so different. Mm-hmm. They each bring something so different to the table, yeah. which I lo- which isn't that true of most siblings. But, yes. Um, <laughs> but just watching them, even just watching them on the worship team, you know, they're both on the mm-hmm. student worship team and hearing Joy sing and mm. last week watching her play drums. And, I, you know, I was just like, yeah, this is incredible. I mean, yeah. I, it's and so I can only imagine as their mother, I, you know, I'm watching truly from the outside. Man. Um, but watching from the inside, and they're just incredible kids, and and they love are. the Lord. Yeah, they love the Lord. And they it's do. So awesome to just watch this play out. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I want to go back to your sixth grade self, oh, sixth man. seventh grade self, um, when you said you kind of had that identity crisis moment mm-hmm. of, um, you know, your fellow black student saying you're not black enough. What mm-hmm. does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then your fellow white students being mm-hmm. like, oh, you're just Clarissa. We yeah. just let you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and that kind of, you know, set this trajectory for you. And so now fast forward to your adult life and you've given mm-hmm. your life to the Lord. Mm-hmm. How did you relearn that? Like, what is my identity? and What does that look like? And yeah, how, what, what was that experience like for you? I think really just getting to know God, you know, um, as I read my Bible, you know, just, I've always thought I've lived with all of these masks. Now I couldn't put a word to it, you know, but I remember God being started to show me like when people came in the room, I would literally change. I had learned how to be a chameleon. I had learned how to shift. I had learned how to, I could talk quote unquote black and then I could talk white. I could do, I would just do whatever I thought people wanted me to do. And it was a horrible way to live, but I, it was so normal to me. And so as I started to just spend time in God's presence and praying, and I remember reading um, The Purpose Driven Life, you know, so I'm a new Christian, and The Bowerful of the Mind, those are two books that I read when I first got saved, and those books started kind of rewiring my brain a little bit, and I was like, wait, there's a purpose? Like, what does that mean? You know, and... And then I started thinking, you know, the questions they ask you in that book, like, what do you love to do? What do you care about? And I didn't know the answers to those questions. You know, they just didn't come like right off of my t- tongue. But but as I began to really dive into that and meditate on things like that, like, hey, God, what did you put me on this earth for? I started thinking about the things that I always loved. I loved to write. I had written since I was a little girl. I had won awards. I had, you know, oh, man. And I was like, I, but I, and I still love that. But I had kind of thrown that to the side because that wasn't a part of the persona that I had <laughs> was putting on, you know. Um, I love to help people. 
you know, when I was a little kid, I was the kid who played teacher with all the other kids. Like, you're going to learn this. I'm going to teach you this. Like, I just learned my ABCs today, and now I'm going to teach you my ABCs. I mean, even though if you're, you're two years old and you don't know what I'm talking about. And so literally, I, I could start remembering that stuff. Like, those, I got little glimpses of, remember you loved that. Remember when you wanted to be a journalist, and you remembered, like, you everything in you wanted to be able to tell people's stories and bring people into and I was like oh yeah but I thought and it was like I could cry I'm not gonna cry ah but I remember <laughs> Jesus Lord I just remember those first couple years all of these things kind of started like just coming back to me and glimpses and thoughts and I was like I know who I am you know yeah, I like to learn, and that's okay. You know, I just remember just this little Clarissa, I like described it, describe it to people, just standing up on the inside and going, you do like to write. You you better write, you know. You do mm-hmm. like to help people, help people, you know. <laughs> ah. Whew. And, and that really, um, it changed everything. I stopped caring about what people thought. God showed me that people pleasing was my thing, that it was it was like my God, you know, and it was all about I want people to be okay with me. I want them to like me. I want them to and learning that he liked me on my worst day. I mean, these are the the elementary th- they're elementary things, but it was just the stuff that just blew my mind. When I was committing my worst sin, Jesus was dying on the cross for me. Like people started like telling me these things, and I was reading my Bible, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's true!" Like He loved me even then. I'm coming out. Like I don't care anymore. Like it, what does He say? That's all that. That's all I cared about. And and God gave me the grace to care. You know, I'm not. I'm nothing special. I believe it's all His grace. He gave me this power to to really say my mind is messed up and I need a reboot. And I went all in. Mm. And, um, yeah. So, Is there a particular scripture or scriptures, plural, (laughs) um, that you really stood on once you got saved? Oh, man. Yeah. I I mean, mean, I'm sure there's probably several, but like that just kind of like your anthem. Really? I mean, Romans 8, 1. And I still talk about it to this day. There's there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I when I really understood what that was, I remember putting that on a on an index card with a sharpie beside my bed, and it was one of those that I would grab and read um, because that's what plagued me the most was all of the memories. You did this. You did this. You broke that person's heart. You messed this up. You. And even though God had forgiven me for all my sins, that tape would replay and replay. And, and here I am in the same city. So all of the triggers, I'd, I'd drive past that place and that neighborhood. And, and so <laughs> I had to believe with all of my heart that the condemnation, the punishment, all of that, like I didn't, it wasn't mine to carry. And so that verse really set me free. And it was all all the verses about freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You know, um, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh my gosh, that was my verse. Because I knew what I needed was freedom. Nobody had to tell me. 
it, that word never scared me. Sometimes that word scares people. They're like, well, I mean, what do I need to be free from? I knew. I knew I was in a jail. I knew I was in a prison. It was so obvious to me. Again, the grace of God revealed that to me. Um, so anything about freedom, I just consumed it. And mm-hmm. I would try to memorize it. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've, I've heard you tell this story before, but I want I want you to tell it for the podcast. Um, but that time that you, you were saved and you threw away all your <laughs> CDs? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell us that? Oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, it, it was like, I don't know, a week in to being saved. And, you know, music has always been an outlet for me. Even when I was young, you know, we like I said, we sang, we did all this stuff. And so when I had went, you know, all in with the black culture, I mean, every type of music. And I loved, like, the stuff that the guys listen to, like the dirty rap, like all of that, everything. And so I had all these CDs and I had my little MP3 player, all this stuff. And um, and one day I was driving down, I think it was Mansfield Road, and there was all CCs there. I don't even know if it's there anymore. And... All of a sudden, kind of in a panic, it hit me that I had to get that stuff out of my car. It was, because it fed me. It was like my friend. Music had always been my friend. And and again, it was the grace of God, but God showed me so quickly, like, your mind is messed up. Your mind is messed up. We're going to, let's, let's get this thing together. And so <laughs> I just pulled off on the road and I, I again I don't even think I would do this now because now I like I follow all these rules in my head like that that would be illegal to me now to do this but in that moment I was like I'm doing it and I just like like literally something out of a movie just pulled off jumped out of my Oldsmobile 88 and I clean I just wiped my dashboard I pulled things out of my glove box I just and I just threw them in the CC's dumpster and I drove off and I was like, yeah, like I was so excited. I was so happy um, because that was just one of those moments. It was a it was a great visual for me, too, because I think about it all the time. It, it was really like what God was trying to do in my mind. I, I had just done like I was visually sweeping it out. I was like dumping it. Um, yeah. So that's my. CD story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that music, I mean, it was because it was, like you said, your comfort. I mean, that's yeah. how you cope. Oh, you yeah. would get high and shut yeah. off the lights and crank up the music. Yeah. So mm-hmm. was it like a kind of just kept you in that place, even though you were safe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It kept you in that I place. I mean, the, the beats, the, I mean, they would take me back to places. You yeah. know, music has that power to take us back to another room. And so literally they would transport me, you know, in a yeah. second. And uh, so if I was going to change and think differently and live differently, I couldn't be, again, I use the word triggers now just because it's a word I understand. But back then, it, that's what that did. It triggered mm-hmm. so much emotionally, even by a lot physically. I could feel things listening to that music, you know. And so, yeah, yeah, I had to get rid of that. Um. So what's been your experience? Because you, you said you're not from the South. You're mm-hmm. from up North. When when did you move here to Louisiana? My fourth grade. So 1989 or 88. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. A long time ago. <laughs> um, and so what's been your experience as an African-American female mm. being married to a white male yeah. here in the South? It's... Uh, it's interesting, you know. I just had a, we had a friend recently get married, and he's he, and he said that they haven't experienced any 
uh, racism. And me and Dell kind of looked at each other like, what? Are, are you are you alive? Are you, you know, um, it's been, it's been interesting. You know, we knew going in that that was going to be a thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, Dell is white and Mexican. And so his parents, when they got married back in the sixties, experienced a lot of racism, um, because that wasn't a thing you did and they lived in the South. And so he had kind of grown up with that. And so he even had a little head start on me on like what that was going to be like because I had only dated black men as an as an adult, you know. And so yeah, in our marriage counseling, that was a topic we kind of went round and round about. So we've, I mean, anytime we go out, as a family especially, because here you are, Eddie, he's black, Joy's black, you know, and here's Dale, boom, <laughs> you know, in the middle. Um, people literally will just jaw drop sometime, and and it's funny because sometimes we're so into each other and we're talking or whatever that we don't even notice it but in those moments that we do notice it we are we try to like be normal but it's hard we, we want to we we literally sometimes we say we should have waved at him like we should have said something you know we should have said hi you know um mostly from the the older so like older african-american men especially oh my gosh like the disdain and the disapproval on their face is very evident older um, white men, I mean, if we go to a restaurant, me and Dale are like on a date night, um, and there's an older couple, especially the men, and they, and we sit near them, I think we ruin their meal because they literally watch us the whole night. And it gets so uncomfortable for us. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's uncomfortable for them too. (laughs) But um, it's those things that at first we were kind of like, they were kind of funny. but now sometimes they're kind of sad. Um, sometimes when we go into the stores, you know, people will think we're not together, so they address me and Dell separately, and they'll be like, you know, or even in restaurants, like who's paying for it? Like whose ticket is this? You know, they're trying to figure it out. Or when we come into a restaurant together, they'll be like, "Sir, how many are with you?" and "Ma'am, how many are with you?" and we're like, "We're together," you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just like we're educating people everywhere we go. Um, there have been some times, uh, one time in particular that was funny in hindsight, but while it was happening, it was so awkward. You know, we were at Target, and a lady uh, thought she was, I think she thought she was doing delegate service. She, uh, we, me and the kids were putting our stuff up with his stuff, with our stuff, it's our stuff, and she put a divider in, front, in between it uh, for Dale, and she kind of looked at him and kind of was like, got you, I got you, you know, mm. and Dale took the divider and he put it back. And she was like, her face, it was like, oh, my God, you know. And um, we walked out of Target because other people kind of saw it happen. And we just started all doing the Darth Vader anthem together as a family because we're stupid. But it was like, what do you do, you know? Um, and, And, you know, that's the world we live in. And we know that it's the world we live in. But we believe that our family has played a huge part and helping people think differently, mm-hmm. a huge part. And people have told us that, so that's helpful yeah. too. But, um, but it is the world we live in. Hopefully, not forever. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's changing. Yeah. And and I was just about to say the same thing that mm-hmm. I, I think your family is a part of that change and mm-hmm. a part of breaking those mindsets and those generational patterns of yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, we see it breaking. Yeah. 
I would like to hope that it continues. <laughs> yes. Know? Sometimes I feel like it's uh, we take one step forward and two steps back, you know, sometimes. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think your family is a is at the helm of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool to watch. Yeah. Um, and you're also a preacher, mm-hmm. a preacher chick. <laughs> one of my favorite preachers, actually. Oh, I, I get so excited. Um, oh, Lord. You know, anytime they announce that you're going to be preaching or anything, <laughs> I'm like, yes. Um, you just have such a, you have such a gift and an anointing to do that. And, mm. and, and I've told you this before, I think, but um, anytime you preach, it's just, you have the attention of everyone in the room. I mean, there's never anybody on their phone. Mm. There's never anybody dozing off. Mm. I mean, you just, you keep the attention of every <gasps> single person in the room and not, well, you're just my favorite. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. Soapbox over. Okay. Um, but uh, as a female, as an African-American oh, female gosh. preacher. Yes. What has been your experience with that? It has been interesting. Yeah. You know, um, again, just like our family is breaking boundaries, I believe that for some people it's actually helping them, you know, um, especially some of my guy friends who are who are Caucasian, you know, the love that they have for me, what they tell me after I preach, you know, I can tell that. At first, it was a little bit like, oh, my gosh, what is happening right now? You know, but even their their change or the way that they talk to me, you know, they're like, Clarissa, thank you. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know, you really helped me today. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, um, it's interesting. You know, ladies are, are some of the, the, the people the most that I think have a hard time with it, which is interesting just because of our culture. You know, I've had ladies tell me that uh, a lady recently told me when I preached on a Sunday, she thought, I can't come back to this church because why is she preaching? And she said at the end of my message, when I was giving a little bit of my testimony, something clicked for her. And um, she was like, wait, I think this is okay. You know? And I was like, wow. And so... You know, I feel it when I'm up there. You know, now God uses he donkeys, right, in the Old Testament. So, <laughs> um, so what he does when, when I'm preaching is all him. You know, people listening and the anointing, that's all him. Um, but sometimes I think for me it's more my own fear that gets in the way. You know, I do believe it's what I'm called to do. And me and God have tried to, I've wrestled that out with him a lot. You know, God, is this okay? Am I, I've even talked to our pastors about it, you know, honestly. I'd be like, I feel like people leave after I preach. And that's, you know, probably happened sometime. Um, because it is so different, you know, for mm-hmm. the for the place that we live. Mm-hmm. But I believe that it's what God's called me to do. And so, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how it plays out in the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, I think even with that, you stand at the helm of that too, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and just breaking barriers all over the place, which yeah. I think is really cool. <laughs> um, and okay. And you actually just recently wrote a devotional. Yeah. Yeah. So tell uh-huh. us about that. Oh yeah. So I love, I love uh, Easter. I love Holy Week. So I had written a blog about it last year, and I thought this year, why not just put it in a devotional form and tweak it a little bit? And so that was fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Originally, I just wanted to do it as a thing on my own, but um, 
you know, our pastors were like, no, let's just, let's get the whole church in on this. So that was really cool. And I got so much feedback. I mean, people were reading it all over the world, India. And I mean, every what? time a new country popped up, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. you know, it was like, what is happening? That's you amazing. know, oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Ireland. Um, it was cool. It was cool to see that, that, you know, just posting something on Facebook or Instagram, you know, the reach that it can have. Um, and to think that someone was following along with that, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in the world is, was crazy. And it really, um, it, it, it excited me so much that I'm doing another devotional right now called 10 Talks. Um, Yay! Just 10 conversations that Jesus had with people and what can we learn learn from those conversations. So That makes me so happy. It makes me happy too. So that's oh. that's what I'm working on right now. And is your Easter devotional still available for um I actually just took it down okay. um from my website literally just the other day. Um cuz I I think I wanted to I want to re-release it next year like yeah. um uh do something a little bit uh, different, maybe even publish it. Uh uh, for next year. So I'm excited. Yay. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for you too. Mm-hmm. And, um, your dad attends the mm-hmm. same church. Well, you and I go to the same church. Yes. Um, for people who don't know, <laughs> that's how I met you, yes. um, was through church. Um, and your dad attends here as well. Mm-hmm. And so what has that relationship been? I mean, I know you said your dad had kind of always been yes. there and kind of that solid, stable place for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that you've come back to know the Lord and walked back through those doors. Like what has that relationship been like with you and your dad? It's been awesome. You know, he has been, he's my Bible scholar, like in my pocket. So, um, because of his love for the word of God, I feel like it really did foster my love for the word of God after Mm -hmm. I, um, started following Jesus. He's so strong, you know, he's been through a lot and, you know, getting to be together, I feel like we couldn't have, he probably never dreamed that this would happen. He prayed that it would happen. He fasted for it to happen. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I'm here, that my sister's here, that we both serve Jesus, love Jesus, there was a time that he thought that that was never going to be a possibility. And so being together, we just sat together at a funeral today, and I was thinking, Dad, you're the coolest. You know, like, yeah. he is a pastor. He is a man. He And he loves people. He could have done so many things in our relationship when I was living, you know, without God in the world. And the way that he treated me has everything to do with the fact that, you know, I believe I came to, to Jesus because of the way he treated me. If he had... Even him saying, hey, you're going to have to move out and figure this out. Even the tough times, he, his love, it was love. Mm. And because of his love, you know, when people have a hard time believing that God loves them, I have to sometimes take my brain off because I believe that God loves me because of the way my dad loved me. You know, I don't have a problem seeing God that way and seeing him as just and all because my dad was I'm not saying my dad was perfect I don't but he did embody both he was so loving but he was also a truth teller Mm -hmm. and he's still the same way 
you know, when he sees me being out of order as a wife, he, he might call me out on that. You know, yeah. if I say something in the pulpit that he's like, now, you, you know, that actually he will correct me. <laughs> he's uh, that's just who he is. But I'm yeah. so thankful for him because Eddie being the man that he is has a lot to do with who he my dad is because he was there in those pivotal moments. He brought him to church when I wasn't thinking about God, you know. He he took good care of him in those hard years too. So Yeah. yeah my dad's the best. He really is. And I love that he sits <laughs> on the front row. Oh, yeah. Especially the times when you preach and he just cheers you on from oh, the front row. It's so sweet. He's the best. I love it. It's been a long time since I said some of those things. It's interesting now. I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's my life. That's all happened. That's all happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, I mean, does it feel like you're talking about someone else? It does. Like you're telling someone else a story almost? It does. It's crazy. Yeah. Which yeah. I think just goes to show the, I mean, mm. how God restores mm-hmm. and, com- and transforms. I, it's, mm-hmm. It always blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what's some wisdom or advice that you would give um, to a woman, maybe even listening to this episode, um, mm. that might be, a single mom or in an mm-hmm. abusive relationship or mm. identity crisis or yeah. any of the things that you mentioned. Um, yeah. Um, I'll just speak to that. If you're in an abusive relationship, okay. you know, you got to get out. <laughs> you got to run for your life. Um, don't be afraid. You know, uh, when you're in a relationship like that, you the person, your abuser, their voice is the most important voice to you, even though it's the most destructive voice. Um, but there are other voices, and mm-hmm. you've got to get those voices into your life. And so run, run to safety. Um, go go where you can, you know. And then, and if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. Because living through something like that, you cannot repair your mind on your own you cannot repair your emotions on your own even good counseling is not effective without the work of the holy spirit Mm -hmm. it just it doesn't work so yeah Mm -hmm. that's good wisdom (laughs) i like it so let's get a little bit of insight to your day-to-day what are three things you do every day every day oh gosh i'm kind of boring um so (laughs) three things i do every day i read you know i read a book, um, at least a chapter of a book every day. Um, I sing every day, which is not surprising for people who know me, but if I'm not singing, then I am in a bad place. Um, so I, and it's a, it's a a telltale, but so I sing every day, whether that's on key or off key, or (laughs) if it's a made up song about dinner or whatever, I'm singing every day. Mm -hmm. And then, oh my gosh, what else do I do? Oh, I kiss Dale every day. Oh, that's a thing that we always said we would do Mm -hmm. no matter what, even if we had the flu, that we would kiss each other every day. That's so. great. That's something that we, even if we're mad at each other. Yeah, well, uh, right? I'm yeah. going through my head. I'm like, ooh, even if, even if. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a good mm-hmm. thing to have. <laughs> okay, so so let's talk about that. Okay. So how do y'all do that when you're mad? We just do. We <laughs> and, we'll, and we even, do, I mean, we'll say, oh, I say, you know, we're fighting right now. And he's like, oh, God, you know, and we kiss anyway. Um, and it might not be like the best romantic is in the world, but it's it's our thing, you know. And it's funny because I'm, I just finished my first counseling class and they said 
that couples that make it kiss every day. What? One of the 10 things that couples do that that last for like a lifetime is that they kiss each other every day and they say good good morning every day. And that's something that we do, which is funny. So I was like, we don't do everything on the list. But I was like, we do those two things, you know? <laughs> we got those two down. Good yeah. morning and we kiss every day. So I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so you said you read every day. Mm-hmm. So what kind of books do you like to read? Oh, my goodness. I love uh, all kinds of books. Uh, I love, of course, books about Jesus or about spiritual, you know, application living. Those are, those are my favorite books to read, probably. I love books on leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just love books on how do you connect with people. So it could be by, you know, whoever, you know. It doesn't have to be a Christian author. But just connecting with people how do you get to know people how do you whatever um because that is kind of my obsession Mm -hmm. is is connecting people to god and so if you're going to connect people to god you really have to connect with them that's kind of my philosophy and so i'm always thinking about that yeah Mm -hmm. um so what are some books that have shaped your your life oh man christian or non-christian i mean you know whatever well, these are probably all Christian. Oh, no, not all of them. Okay, so The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. Yes. I read that book when I when oh. I was newly saved, and I had a lot of people to forgive. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it changed my life. Um, so The Bait of Satan, and I try to reread it as often as possible. Mm, that's um, a great one. Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn by John Maxwell. So failure, um, I used to think if I failed at something, no matter what it was, that there was something wrong with me. And um, that book, I read it, you know, six years ago, and it says sometimes you win, and on the front, sometimes sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, but on the front it says fail, crossed out, and learn is over it. Um, And so that's another book that I reread, you know, when I feel like I'm getting my identity wrapped up in what I do, Mm -hmm. you know, and that book was, oof, that book was life-changing for me. And then um, Lead Like Jesus, it's a book that I try to read every year. Um, I read a lot of other leadership books, but it is the first leadership book that I remember telling Dale, which is just funny. One day I'm going to write a book about how Jesus is the best leadership role model of all time. I'll never forget it because I was like, I'm, I literally put, kind of put it on my, my list. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast one day and they were like, you know, and they just revised Lead Like Jesus. And I was like, what? Lead Like Jesus? There's a book called <laughs> Lead Like Jesus. And I just love that book. It's it's practical, but it's it's just all about Jesus and mm-hmm. getting your ego out of the way and not leading out of pride and not leading out of fear, which I do both when I'm out of order. I will lead out of fear and I will lead out of pride. And I just want to lead like Jesus. So yeah, that's I my haven't book read- right there. I haven't read those last two you mm-hmm. mentioned, so I got to put those on my list. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are my books. You should still write a book, by the way. Okay, on something, several things probably. Yes, but I'm, I have so. some. Pl- I have plans. Okay, to good. Write some books. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> all right, what's a fun hobby or interest you might uh, that you have that might surprise you about people? You've already said you used to smoke cigars oh every day. Oh Lord, yes, that well, surprised I me. I don't do that anymore, <laughs> but I did. Um, I definitely messed up my lungs. Uh, well, now, I mean, it might not be fun, but it's fun to me. Uh, I am a World War II history buff. What? I love World War II history. I love studying it. I love watching movies about it. I love reading um, 
because again, I don't know what I'm going to do before I die, but I just am obsessed with fixing things that are broken and helping people see other people correctly. And I just feel like so many things went wrong. The things that get us into wars, um, you know, not seeing other people as humans, not, Mm -hmm. you know, valuing life. Uh, But there was so much that happened in those six years that I'm just, I just love every storyline that came out of it. Um, even the ones that are, are horrible, because I want to I want to understand, you know, I want to be a part of changing that mm-hmm. the narrative of our world. I know that sounds crazy and grandiose, but Mm-mm. it's true, you know. Oh. So I love World War Two. Yeah. I love <laughs> I, I, when I'm 60. This is what I always tell Dale. I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get a master's in World War Two. Yes. I don't know what that's about. but You should do it. <laughs> but I just learned so much about you that I didn't know. Mm. Amazing. I mean, I, I've I've always admired you and had respect for you, but now I'm like, this is a different level of. <laughs> I was just, this is incredible. Oh gosh. Um, and I think you're incredible, and I'm not just saying that just mm, to like. I think you're incredible. Fluff you yeah. up, but oh, well, thank you. <laughs> like for real. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of age, today's a special day. Yes. Yes. What's today? Today is my birthday. Yay. I'm 40 years old today. 40. Mm-hmm. What a milestone birthday. Yeah, it's a good birthday. It's a good birthday. Mm-hmm. Well, happy birthday. And thank you so much just on your birthday for taking time. I mean, I know you could be doing a million other things, taking a nap or hanging out with family or birthday shopping or whatever. Yes. And you're here. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> but you're here telling us your story and encouraging people and, and spreading the love of Jesus. So thank you so much just for sitting with me today and telling us your get up story. Love you. All right, y'all. There you have it. Clarissa Stevens and her get up story. Uh, what do you even say after? How do you even follow something like that? I mean, she's incredible, and I hope you feel encouraged after listening to her today. And hey, before you leave, make sure you check out the show notes. We've linked a few things there for you. First of all, the books that she referenced that have impacted her life. We have those listed there. Uh, we have her website listed there, which contains her blog um, that she posts to regularly, and she's an incredible writer. So you definitely want to check that out. And then also how to connect with her on social media. So make sure you take a gander at those show notes before you head out. And then as per usual, uh, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe and rate us. It helps people find us better, helps us out, makes us look really good, like we got something going on. So it's a win-win all the way around. Thank you for stopping by this week, and we look forward to seeing you again on Get Up Girl.